Welcome back to another episode of the Girls Talk Money podcast. Today, we are diving into everything you need to know to build a strong financial foundation. But before we do, we're going to dive into our weekly recap. So what's going on in your life, Erin? Yeah, we're recording this episode uh, on the beginning of December. And my boyfriend and I just got back from Los Angeles last weekend. We went out there to watch a Browns versus Rams game. He's like the biggest Cleveland Browns fan ever. Um, So we went out there to SoFi Stadium to watch the game. And we had such a good time. This is probably the first time in my life that I've actually spent real time in LA. The first time I was there, I was only there for about 36 hours. I was there for a work trip. Um, So it was the first time that we got to kind of like walk around and see the different areas. Um, We were staying in Marina Del Rey, very close to Venice Beach. And Grace, I know when you were out there for about six weeks, you stayed very close to Venice. Um, Mm -hmm. We spent a day down in like Manhattan Beach because one of our Uber drivers was saying that that beach was a lot less touristy and there were so many people out and about and it was sunny and 75 and beautiful in December. Um, And we had honestly the best time. Um, And then we came back to Pittsburgh and it was 30 degrees and gloomy and snowy. But honestly, I like was not feeling homesick. I feel like I never actually feel homesick on trips, but I was kind of excited to get back to Pittsburgh. I don't know what it was, but like my boyfriend and I were kind of talking during the trip like, oh, I could see myself living out here. I could see myself living out here. But like by the end of it, I was like, I'm ready to go home. And to me, that felt so far away from home. And I was just kind of like, I can't picture myself picking up and moving across the country, even though the weather's beautiful and we had the best time and we could like walk three miles along the beach in December because it was 70 degrees outside and all of that. But it just didn't feel very homey because it was so far away. And I was really excited to get back to Pittsburgh by the end of the trip, which never happens to me. I'm definitely showing my signs (laughs) of aging. (laughs) I was just going to say, I feel like that is definitely a sign of the times and a sign of aging because (laughs) I have felt the same thing where when I did that six-week trip to LA, I was like, oh my God, I could totally live here. And then I came back home and I was just like, oh, like this is home, you know, like in Boston, it'll be all gross and snowy and like the snow's all brown because it's just like, you know, getting all (laughs) sloshed around. And I'm like, oh, you know, (laughs) like what the heck? Like, Yeah, no, I feel that it's a lot to move across the country. But yeah, maybe you can. My goal is to have a house here and a house there. So maybe that's what you could do. You could have like a couple rental properties or something you can stay in. Yeah. Or I just like miss my dog maybe. So maybe if she was out there with me, it would like feel a little bit different, but I was, I am kind of a homebody. I think like I like to, no matter what city I'm in or whatever, I like to like literally be in my house. So I think that was a big thing. I was just excited to like be at home and like get back into my routine and everything like that. And it's not like I don't like to take trips. I just think moving forward, I need to be a little bit more intentional with which trips I'm saying yes to and like why I want to take a trip to begin with, because I do really like my life here and I like being in my house here so I don't know just kind of thinking through that a little bit more and not feeling the pressure to always be going somewhere or anything yeah yeah what's going on in your week the best way to describe where I'm at right now is that the lights are on but nobody is home (laughs) um I just like I'm physically here and I'm like trying to get through all of my work but my brain just feels like it's going in so many different directions. And it might be because I am like in the process of looking for an apartment and I am also going to LA next weekend. And then I have a week off of work and I'm trying to get everything done early so that my clients have what they need when I'm out of office and just like 
Christmas. I'm like a big Christmas person, big gifter. Like I love Christmas and I love just like buying gifts for people. It is my love language. So I'm just kind of like in that mode too of trying to make sure I get everything squared away. And it's just, I feel like my brain has octopus arms and they're just (laughs) going in different directions. It is so like, I don't know. I'm just ready for the end of the year and not even because it's a bad year or anything like that. Just because I really want to just have a second to take a step back, think about my 2024 goals, think about like how the year went, reflect on it. And just like, also just like do a lot of nothing. Like I'm so ready to just have time off to just veg out and not be doing anything. And I love what I do for work, but at some point, even if you love it, you just want some time off. But yeah, I think we've been talking about this in a couple other episodes, but everyone else is really slowing down around this time of year. And for us, this is the busiest time of the year, the Mm -hmm. whole month of December, because obviously we work in marketing and Christmas is a huge marketing time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I know for me, like everything is so crazy. All of like my brand campaigns have deliverables that are due, like there is so much coming up and that's fine. That's honestly amazing because, you know, like our income isn't steady and the more we do, the more we make. Um, But I'm really looking forward to just kind of like not even taking time off around Christmas, but I think I think taking time off after Christmas. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about like what my schedule is going to look like for the next couple of weeks. And I really don't think I'm going to be taking much time off before the holidays. But the week between Christmas and New Year's, my brother's going to be home. And then the week after that, I actually think that I'm going to try to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah. going to be my time because I I can't even think about like Christmas gifts. All of that stuff is like really stressing me out because I can't even think that far ahead because I'm just consumed with work and moving <laughs> and I have an event coming up the week of Christmas. Like there's so much going on. So I haven't even thought that far ahead, which is stressing me out now that you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. In my like marketing business, a lot of clients are they don't necessarily want to start projects right now, but they want to start projects after the new year. They're like, okay, I've thought about what happened in 2023. I want to like do something different in 2024. And this happened last year too. So I've gotten so many inbounds, which means so many discovery calls, which is a good thing. That means so much time on calls, so much time negotiating the contracts and, you know, writing up proposals and doing all these things to start after the new year, which means like, after the new year is going to be a little crazy (laughs) too. So I'm trying to like be better about drawing those boundaries and I just had a discovery call with a client yesterday where we're going to move forward working together in January. And I was just like, okay. He was like, what's the ideal timeline to work together? I was like, after the new year, please. And thank you. He was like, that's totally fine. Like I was like, I, I could probably squeeze you in before I go on vacation next week. And then before I'm out, but like, let's just not, let's not yeah. because it's, it's just, yeah. January, February, March ends up being a really busy time for me okay. with my marketing business. And then I feel like content creation gets like busy on like the opposite timeline. So it's kind of just like a, frenzy at all times. (laughs) You're just always busy. Yeah. And and that's like hard too, because I know you and I have talked about like trying to get ahead with some podcast episodes um, and taking like the January, February timeline to kind of do that just because December Mm -hmm. has been a little bit crazy. And we want to make sure we always have an episode to post every single Monday. Um, So yeah, that could be kind of hard if like all of your clients are asking so much of you around that time. Yeah, I know. And we could do an entire episode on managing crazy schedules as an entrepreneur because that's a whole situation. But I've had to be a lot better about boundaries. And also, I try not to book myself with more than 30 hours a week of freelance work because I know I'm going to have just like admin work to do on the business or content creation stuff or, you know, so trying to draw that that line is is key. But related to what we're talking about today, 
I've been thinking so much about 2024 and just like my business as a whole, but also the financial side of things, especially the finances of my business, but even finances of myself personally, like what goals am I working toward? What do I want? Um, how much do I want to make? Things like that. And I feel like that is a really common thing. I personally love the new year. And I think that if the new year is what motivates you to like get your shit together or to like reach a new goal or whatever, hell yeah. I know a lot of people have some like thoughts and they're like, oh my God, like if the only time you set a goal <laughs> is the new year, like shut up. You know what I mean? Ugh. Like yeah. those people that make fun of people for like going to the gym after the new year. I'm like, get a life friend. Um, get a life. Um, so if the new year is like really motivating you to pull it together, congratulations. And today we're going to talk about like getting your financial shit together basically in the new year and everything that you need to build a strong financial foundation so that you just feel more prepared and less intimidated by your money. And we want to release this before the new year. It will be released before the new year because in the new year, we are releasing an entire financial foundations guide that will quite literally walk you through every single thing that you need to build a strong financial foundation and you'll have everything in front of you. It's templatized so you can fill everything out and have all of your information in one place, which so nice. Love that. Absolute slay. So we're going to kind of just give like a broad overview of what's going to eventually be in that template um, that will be released in the new year, I think on January 1st, when we're planning to release it. Um, so definitely stay tuned for that. And if you want to be in the know and get access to that when it comes out, join our email list, which is linked in the show notes of the podcast and Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, I mean. Um, it's linked all there. So we'll send out an email and let you know that it's released. So definitely yeah. join that. I am so excited about this guide coming out. When Grace and I first started talking about this, we were kind of debating like a PDF type guide because I feel like that's what you see. Like if you see any type of like mm -hmm. guide that's set in stone, it's always in a PDF version. But Grace had a really good idea of putting it into a Notion template, which was honestly so genius because like she said, you can like kind of work through it. It's more of like a workbook, I would say. There's like journal prompts to help you kind of understand your money, your values, all of those things. And then it can like link to everything. Um, there's a bunch of like tools and trackers and calculators and things embedded into the guide. So I'm really excited for that to come out next week. It's going to be like super comprehensive. We've been working so hard on it the entire month of December. Yeah. I'm also super hyped. I wish I had something like this because we didn't fill it with fluff either. It's just to the point, like, here's what you really need to know. And I wish I had this like five years ago when I was <laughs> so confused. But I also think part of the reason why we didn't fill it with so much fluff and why we just want to give you like, here's everything you need to know in one place is because I feel like, and this was a point that you brought up right before we got on this call today, that knowing your money is, it, there's, more information isn't always going to make the decisions easier. You know what I mean? Researching, investing a million times over isn't going to help you necessarily follow through with investing. It's a lot much more about discipline and actually just pushing yourself to follow through with certain things that you know are the right decision rather than thinking that like, oh yeah, once I read my 20th personal finance book, I'll <laughs> finally budget. No, sweetheart. Like <laughs> you're going to finally budget when you sit down and force yourself to budget every week. That's, that's when it's going to happen, you know? 
Yes, 100%. It's definitely more about discipline than it is about skill. I would say like 20% skill and 80% discipline. Honestly, like there's not that much to learn. And we're, when we're saying we're coming out with this guide and giving you everything you need to know, like we're not gatekeeping this information at all. This entire podcast episode is going to be all about the topics that are inside of this guide. I think it's just helpful to kind of have like everything in one place. There will be a ton of links to like link out to different resources that you might need to know about certain topics and things like that. So don't be if you're sitting in a place where you're like, I want my 2024 New Year's resolution to be to finally be financially literate. You are probably only one or two steps away from being totally financially literate. Like we are here to tell you there is not that much to learn. <laughs> so just kind of like listen to this podcast episode, consider the guide if you need a little bit more help. Um, but really understand that it's more about that discipline piece and less about the actual knowledge and the concepts and things that you physically need to learn. Absolutely. And figuring out what that gap is, like Erin said, like it's, you're probably only one or two steps away from where you need to be, but there are a few things you can do to understand like where are you right now and where are the gaps between where you are now and where you want to be. And I know this is literally the first thing you want to talk about and where the guide starts is like understanding your starting point. And I think for for me, one of the really, really good things I did in the beginning to kind of understand like where am I at in my finances was doing a debt audit. And in the guide, you'll see there's, I built this tracker in Notion and I think it's so fun. It's all like color coded and everything because I'm a type A girly. But basically I used to have a bunch of different student loans and now I only have a few left. But what I did in the beginning that was really helpful in trimming down my student debt was listing out all the debt I had, all the interest rates, the monthly payments, everything in one place, literally list it in the, in one document. In I mean, if you get the guide, you'll just list it all out in Notion, but having it in one place listed out gave me so much clarity to be like, okay, here's my entire debt landscape. Like, what are we going to attack first? What's what's low interest? What's really stressing me out? And kind of focus on that. It I can't even explain like the type of clarity that just comes from seeing everything on one document in one place. Yeah. And I think this sounds like really intuitive to do, but not a lot of people do it. I think if you have a couple different types of liabilities and they're just sort of all over the place, really centralizing it, like you say, and just like getting it down on paper and understanding like maybe you'll feel after that like okay I'm not in that bad of a situation or you might say okay it's really time to prioritize my debt and make that a big financial goal for 2024 because I'm seeing that all of my monthly payments added up equal x amount every month or my interest rates are so high that I'm paying so much in interest and it's going to be hard for me to get ahead if I don't make my debt a priority so it can just kind of give you a lot of clarity like you said um to understand where you're starting at. And I think the debt audit is like half of the side of the equation of what I like to do first when I'm kind of understanding my starting point with my finances, which is tracking my net worth. Um, and I've talked about this on my social media accounts for so long, probably for the past two years, just really getting a, getting a handle around your net worth. And if you don't know what your net worth is, essentially, it's a combination of all of your assets minus the sum of all of your liabilities. So add up all of your assets, add up all of your liabilities and subtract your liabilities from your assets. And that gives you your net worth number. Um, I was doing like the series on my social media for the past two years about like growing my net worth and having like all of these net worth goals and all of that. And 
your net worth isn't the end all be all. It's definitely not like the most important part of your like financial foundation or anything like that, but it is a good marker to know if you're moving in the right direction. That's kind of how I like to look at it. Like if you are like in your twenties with a lot of debt from student loans or a car loan or anything like that, maybe your net worth is negative and that can be really discouraging for a lot of people, but that's okay. Like it's really just kind of looking at your net worth month over month to see if you're going in the right direction or if you're going kind of like backwards in where you want your financial goals to go. Absolutely. I love tracking my net worth. I think it's like a little game. Like I genuinely have fun (laughs) with it, but it is encouraging also to see it increase and it can help you make more strategic decisions. I want to note too that this like aspect of understanding your starting point is I would say like the most mentally challenging aspect of it all because I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, I, I feel like I'm going to see information I don't want to see. I'm going to feel really bad about myself, yada, yada, yada. But I will say that when it, when it comes to money, the mental load is more, I would say, at least in my experience, I've found it to be heavier than some of the actual like physical response of like following through and like sitting down for 10 minutes and tracking your spending or something like that or writing your debt out in one place. There's a lot of mental load. But when you do things like this, you when you track your net worth, when you do a debt audit when you check your credit score and you like you know it takes away some of the mental load because it's taking out that unknown aspect there's so much mental load and weight that comes from just not fully knowing your financial landscape and letting that weight of the unknown stress you out so if this aspect if you're like oh my god i don't want to see all my debt in one place i'm gonna cry or like oh my god my net worth's gonna be negative like my net worth was literally negative a year ago like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good now, you know? <laughs> but like, it, it is really helpful to kind of see it. And I think it does make you feel better because you can't change what you don't know. You know, like if you, if you have no idea where your debt is at, it's going to be really hard to make real strides versus mm-hmm. if you are tracking your net worth and you're like, okay, whoo, like my student loans are really tanking my net worth right now. Let's make it a priority to get rid of that. You know, then you can kind of start making changes and that is really empowering. So don't let the mental load and stress of this aspect of it kind of deter you. That's such a good point. I I heard this quote uh, about a month ago that was like, it takes more energy to not do something than it does to do the thing that you don't want to do. Um, And it Mm -hmm. is just because of that stress. Like when you're stressed out, that's so much energy that you're wasting rather than just doing it, facing it and kind of like moving forward. And in a lot of cases, like you'll probably realize that it's not as bad as you think. I know for me, like even down to tracking my spending weekly, there are definitely weeks where I'm like, oh, I don't want to pull up my credit card statements because I know I spent a lot of money last week. And then I pull it up Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I literally, spent $300 like it's okay (laughs) or like I'm I'm still within my budget for the month or whatever whatever it is but it takes so much more energy to stress about the thing rather than to just do it and like get it over with I know for me this is something that I do with my business finances like I put off keeping up with my bookkeeping and all of that for so long until it stresses me out so much and sucks so much energy because I'm like, I don't even know why. Like, I don't know why I'm afraid to look at it, but then I do it and I'm like, okay, I'm totally fine. And then I move on and I'm no longer stressed about it. So I I agree. Like understanding your starting point is definitely a huge hurdle that you have to get over. And then you can kind of like go from there and create a plan that works for you. Yeah, for sure. The other aspect of kind of understanding where you're starting is checking your credit score. And I know this is something else that a lot of people tend to not want to do because they're scared of what the number is going to be. But it is really important to understand what makes up your credit score. And 
I really love using platforms like Credit Karma or Credit Sesame because they'll show you the individual aspects of your score and they'll show you, okay, you know, your score is maybe it falls in the fair range or the good range and it's not in the excellent range yet. And it will show you why. So it'll be like, okay, you know, you have a missed payment. And so you can see what that aspect, what aspect of your score is hurting and causing your score to dip down a little bit. Um, and I find that really helpful because especially with credit Sesame, I know in their app, they give you actionable steps. And I think that that's really helpful. They're like, okay, this is the part of your score. That's like not doing too hot. Here's what you could do to fix it. But it is important to kind of acknowledge where you're starting so that you can take the right actions to allow your score to actually grow. Yes, definitely. I think when it comes to your credit score, it's kind of overwhelming if you don't really understand the components of what makes up your credit score. And that can be like a source of anxiety for a lot of people or be a reason why they don't want to check their credit score because they don't know how to increase it. So the apps that give you the actionable tips definitely help. And I think it's just important to kind of understand the three main things to do to like not hurt your credit score. Um, because if you can focus on those, and they're three pretty easy tips. Um, the one just being the um, not missing a payment. So making sure you're always paying on time, not like getting any payments past due that will even missing one payment will literally bring your score down like 50 some points. I'm pretty sure um, that's like a huge factor. So just always making sure if you have a credit card that you spend on, making sure you're always paying by the payment due date, which is why like I definitely tried to take advantage of auto pay for the entire statement balance. Um, but just making sure you're getting that payment on time, um, keeping your credit utilization low is the second one. So if you have a $1,000 credit limit, not going even close to that $1,000 credit limit every month, um, really trying to keep it below, I think they say like below 30%, but as low as possible will help your score. Um, and then the third is the length of your credit history. And I know a lot of people kind of like diss this or they make it seem like this is kind of like hard to keep up with because they'll say, oh, you have a student loan. And then if you pay it off, like your credit score goes down or things like that. But just kind of like keeping an eye on it like what are the length of what's the length of all of your liabilities and whatever like the longest length of your credit history is like trying to keep that card open so if it is a credit card like making sure you don't close your old like discover it card or whatever card you had from high school or college or anything like that making sure to keep that line open just to kind of like help your credit score but honestly with the credit score piece too like understand why you need to have a good credit score. Um, if you're in a situation where you're like, okay, next year I want to buy a house, then obviously you need to really focus on your credit score. But if you're in a situation where you're like, I'm just trying to get all of this together, like maybe I have a credit card and my goal right now is to just not be in credit card debt. Like, okay, that's a good starting point, but kind of understand like what you're going to use your credit score for and when to kind of like understand how much emphasis to put on it. Absolutely. Step two in this whole process, once you've kind of understood where you're starting, is to focus on your cash flow management. And this is something that I I remember doing a video about this. And I feel like one thing that drives me nuts on social media is people who are like, everyone needs these five checking accounts. I'm like, hold the phone now. Hold the phone. I am a pretty organized person, but if I had five checking accounts, I would lose my shit. I would be so overwhelmed by that. And I always tell people, simplify your stack. Like, how is your money coming in and how is it going out? Simplify that process. You do not need to have five checking accounts where you have 
one for fun money, one for like bills, one for, unless it makes so much sense to you and it works in your brain. And that's the only way you're able to manage your money, make it as simple as possible. So I always say one checking account, one high yield savings account, preferably a high yield savings account with buckets or envelopes. That's my favorite approach. Unless you use like a provider, I think you use Capital One, right? And they don't mm-hmm. have buckets. So you have like sub accounts or separate yeah, accounts. Yeah, but it's like, essentially the same thing. Yeah. Right. It's essentially the same thing. And it's at the same provider. I've seen yes. people be like, well, I have a one high yield savings account at Marcus by Golden Sachs and one at Ally and one at Current. And I'm like, you're stressing me out. Um, <laughs> like it's not even my money and I'm stressed. Um, I personally have an Ally checking account and an Ally high yield savings account. That's it. I have an account at like a local bank simply because it's just still open and they just haven't closed it on me yet, but they're going to close it eventually. But that like simplifies it. You know what I mean? So understand like where, when you get a paycheck, where is it going? And then from there, where are you moving money and keeping it as simple as possible? So you you're aware of where all your dollars are and you're not like, oh my God, wait, I forgot about money in this account because that's what actually used to happen to me when I used the local bank and Ally at the same time. I literally had a client's invoices, their invoice was getting sent to this separate bank account and I completely forgot about it. And at the end of last year, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I have like several hundred dollars sitting in this account that I didn't even know I had, <laughs> you know? So like when you, when you overcomplicate it for yourself, it's going to be hard to track. So just really get clear on when your money comes in, where is it going? And how can you make that as simple and easy for you to keep up with? Definitely. I think that's the approach that I take as well, right? I use Capital One for pretty much everything. I have a checking account there. I have a credit card with Capital One. And then I have all of my sinking funds there as well, including like my emergency fund and all my sinking. We can talk about sinking funds a little bit more when we talk about setting financial goals. But I will say for like the savings account piece of that, if you are struggling with discipline in that you're trying to save money, but you find yourself always like putting money into your savings and then pulling it back out of your savings. That's a situation where I think it could potentially be beneficial to have a high yield savings account at a different institution. And you know that money only goes into that account. So let's say all of your checking and sinking funds and things like that are with Capital One, but you are trying to save for a down payment on a house or you're trying to put money into an emergency fund and not touch it. Maybe you do open a Marcus high yield savings account and you get the app on your phone and you transfer money into that every month. Maybe you set up automatic uh, transfers into that savings account, but you know that you never open that app and you never touch that money because you you kind of have to, it's like a barrier almost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you're transferring money from Capital One to Marcus, maybe there's like a time delay to get it back into Capital One into your checking to like physically spend the money. So you're almost like putting a barrier between you and your money and not allowing yourself to transfer the money back into your checking. So that could be a reason if you're struggling with like seeing your savings account like every day when you open up your dashboard or whatever, um, then maybe like switching it into a different institution. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great point. I think um, that separation is really wise when you're saving for a specific goal or something Mm -hmm. like that. If you do struggle with, you know, I've seen people be like, oh, I just end up transferring right back into my checking. It's like, okay, if you know that about yourself, how can you create a system for your cash flow that prevents you from doing that? You know what I mean? And it yeah. kind of helps build the habit by creating 
an optimized kind of financial stack that is going to support the habits that you want to build. Yeah. Um, And this is definitely, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, this is definitely all about like finding what makes the most sense for you and for your brain. And it's okay to try different things and like see what works. I know for some people, they literally pull out cash and do like the cash envelope system for different things. Like, oh, here's $300 for my restaurant spend and I can only spend what's inside this cash envelope. I would never do that. Um, I never spend in cash. When I have cash, it like burns a hole in my pocket and I <laughs> go spend it on like Dunkin' Donuts or something. Like, um, But if that works for you, like maybe try it. I don't know. And then if it doesn't, you can go back to doing it a different way or even like the different checking account things. I have seen people, I think five is excessive. Like definitely excessive but um i have seen people have like a checking account where money flows in and then a second checking account where like they transfer money for their bills so let's say you have auto pay for all of your bills and they hit it like multiple like different times of the month um but you have the bills set on auto pay for this separate bills checking account you know how much money you need to transfer into that checking account for bills like things like that so it's just all about kind of like what makes sense in your brain and figuring out like how you can manage your individual situation because what works for me isn't going to work for grace and vice versa For sure. I have seen couples do that where they have like one joint account where they like put money for bills and stuff. And I think that's really smart. I think one thing to think about is in terms of simplifying it, like if I were to do that, I would personally try to keep everything at the same institution. Like I'm going to, if I'm going to have three checking accounts because I want to have one for spending money and one for bills, and that helps me create some visual division for me. I'm going to keep it all at one one place, you know, I think having it at so many different places can make it kind of hard to track. But again, it really is about what makes sense for you and your brain, which we'll talk a little bit about too, when we get to the budget section, because I have some thoughts on, on that when it comes to budgeting. Yeah. Before we move into budgeting, I think the having things at one institution piece is applicable for credit cards as well. I think your cash flow management needs to factor in how credit cards plays into that equation. Um, because for me, I, I've been doing this for like two years. I definitely wasn't this responsible like two years ago when I was first learning how to like track my spending and all of like the budgeting stuff we'll talk about. But now I have a really good handle around how much I'm spending every month. So I have a couple different credit cards. And the reason why I do that is because I like to take advantage of the travel rewards and all of those things. Like I really do play the points and miles game per se. Um, But if you're just getting started and you are trying to understand like how much money you spend every month and you are trying to get a grip on your finances, one credit card, (laughs) get one credit card. I like to say one good credit card with rewards that you will actually use. Just put all of your spending onto that one credit card. Like once you try to get a credit card here and a credit card here and all like all of a sudden money is in all of these different places, it's going to be really hard to understand how much you're truly spending on a monthly basis. And it's going to make tracking your spending exponentially harder. Like even for me, I have to pull up three different credit card apps every Monday when I track my spending because my spending goes on to three different credit cards. I I have multiple credit cards. Like I think I have three, but I only put my spending on one at a time. And I'm I know that I could get more out of the rewards if I was like, okay, this one's best for groceries. I'll put that there. This one's best for this. But I know myself mentally, and I don't want to have to pull up three different credit card <laughs> things because I know I'm going to get stressed. So at this phase of my life, I'm just putting things on one. And maybe when I have like a different perspective, or when I feel more 
when, maybe when I feel less stressed in my life, maybe I'll like try to optimize all of my spending. But I agree. I think sticking to one credit card. So if you have multiple and you're feeling overwhelmed with tracking spending between multiple, pick one to just use and then get a hang of tracking. And once you feel more in control of tracking, then you can kind of, you know, branch out to more than one. But yeah, simplify your credit card stack, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have multiple credit cards too, you also have to manage different credit card due dates. And I know there is like a way it's super easy to change your credit cards due date. I think you just have to call the bank or whatever. I personally haven't done that because I have all of my credit cards set on auto pay for the entire statement balance. Um, and I did have a point here to mention with like the whole auto pay thing as well is just making sure you have enough money sitting in your checking account to take advantage of auto pay. This has been a big thing for me. I used to never want to set up auto pay on my credit cards because I was like, well, what if I get paid on the 15th, but my credit card due date is on the 13th and then like my card bounces or, or like my payment bounces because I don't have enough money sitting in my checking. So just always keeping that buffer in there. I like to do about one month's worth of expenses, even though a checking account isn't high yield and that money's not earning me anything. I do like to keep about one month's worth of expenses in my checking account. I call it like a checking fund just to make sure I can take advantage of the auto pay for my credit cards, my bills and all of that. Yeah, I do the same thing. I think I have like a two or $3,000 buffer in my checking for that exact reason because I don't want to end up like <laughs> something <laughs> happening. But yeah, I'm like, I'm not earning money on it in the way I could if I put it in a high yield savings account. But I think for me, the mental piece of knowing yeah. I have a buffer is worth it, worth far more than any earnings that I would have if I put it in a high yield savings account. Right. The next piece of building your strong financial foundation for 2024 is creating a budget. Um, so we have a bunch of different things we want to talk about here, but I guess the first step in creating a budget, sticking to it, making sure you are effectively budgeting is finding a tool that works for you. And I know Grace and I are both spreadsheet people. Obviously, if you follow us on social media, we both sell a budget template um, because we are big spreadsheet people. I know for me, the first like year to year and a half of me tracking my spending and budgeting and all of that, I did it in a blank Excel spreadsheet. So you definitely don't don't have to buy a fancy template or anything like that. Like my blank Excel spreadsheet worked totally fine. Um, but if you are looking for something a little bit more sophisticated, there's a ton of templates everywhere between our social media accounts. Um, a lot of other finance creators sell them. Etsy has a lot of good templates, things like that. Um, if you're not a spreadsheet person and that overwhelms you, there are some budgeting apps out there. I think some of the ones are like Copilot, Monarch Money is another one. Mm -hmm. um, Rocket I Money. Like Rocket Money. Um, I have used Rocket Money before just to kind of like see what it looked like. And I was not impressed, I will say. Oh. I think Copilot and Monarch Monarch Money are the two that I hear about most frequently that people really like. Mint, if you are a Mint user, is going away on January 1st, which I know oh. millions of people are really sad about that because they do use Mint. But yeah, just finding a tool that works for you and is going to, again, work for your brain. Yeah, absolutely. I think I did the exact same thing with my spreadsheet where it was simply blank. Um, and I would just kind of like write numbers in and yeah. it was just, it was very chaotic. And it was funny because people would be like, where's your spreadsheet from? And like, I was like, guys, please look at, look at my spreadsheet for a second. <laughs> Me you too. don't want it. You do not want this chaotic mess that I had going. And then I kind of made it into an actual, you know, cute, colorful, you know, 
Wait, I did literally the same thing. And yeah. I, like full disclosure, I literally still do that with my business finances, tracking my oh, income yeah. and my expenses on a blank spreadsheet. And it is the most chaotic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So fun fact, Grace and I are also coming out with a business slash side hustle income and expense tracker in 2024, which I'm so, so excited about because I can't wait to use it. It's like almost done. <laughs> so we're really excited about that because I need something better than my blank spreadsheet. Yeah, I think the the good thing to highlight here is that that blank spreadsheet is what made sense for us and our brains. Like I personally do not like budgeting apps. I will try them and test them out so that I can report back to people in my community of like, okay, I tested this paid budgeting app. Here's what I thought about it. It sucks. Don't go use it. Don't waste your own money. You know, I wasted mine. So you don't have to waste yours, that type of thing. But what makes, makes sense in my brain is a spreadsheet because I like being in control. I like being able to name all my budget categories. I like being able to see everything on my computer. I'm a computer person. I'm not, I do not like to track or do any money, anything on my phone. It's just too small of a screen. I don't like it, but it, you should do what makes sense for you. If literally using pen and paper and writing it down is what works for you. And that's the thing that you're going to follow through with, do it. It needs to be what you are going to follow through with. I log into my email every single day. So it's easy for me to pull up a spreadsheet right next to it. But if you're somebody who does not use the computer or you just, you love phones, you're on your app, your apps all the time, like use an app, you know what I mean? Use what feels good to you. But the purpose of tracking, regardless of what you use, is just to understand where your money is going and like, is it going? I feel like a lot of people get intimidated by the word budget, but it's literally just a plan. Like you wouldn't go to a new location. Like you wouldn't get in your car and go to drive somewhere new without using your Google maps. And if you did, it'd probably be a hot mess, right? Um, like if I tried to get somewhere without using my maps, I know it'd be tragic. <laughs> Someone would have to come pick me up on the side of the road. Cause I, it'd be bad, but that's the same way that your money is. Like if you're trying to get to a new place with your money, you want to get a higher net worth. You want to save more. You want whatever. You cannot do the same thing that you've been doing now. If it is not working, you know what I mean? You need to create mm -hmm. some sort of plan or path for you to follow. And that's how I view a budget. I'm like, okay, cool. My goal this month is to save a bit more. So I'm going to give myself a budget for my, I call it my fun food random category, which I'll explain in a second, but I'm going to cut that back a little bit. I'm going to make it a little bit lower. And my plan this month is to, that's all a budget is, is just a plan for how you want to spend ideally. Yeah, I think when you're thinking of your tool as well, you need to distinguish the budgeting and the tracking your spending piece. Because like you said, creating a budget is very forward thinking. Like you are goal setting for maybe the next month or the next six months or the next year or whatever. Like you are, that's where you're sitting there being like, okay, I'm expecting that I will bring in $3,000 worth of income next month. And I am expecting that my rent is going to be $1,500 a month. And I am setting the goal for myself that I'm going to spend under $200 going out to eat. Like that is where you're very forward thinking. And the tracking your spending piece is when you are sitting down being like, okay, yesterday I went to the grocery store and I spent $80 on groceries. And you were tracking that to make sure by the end of the month that you actually stuck to the budget that you set for yourself. And I think when you're thinking through of the tool that you're going to use to budget and track your spending, you need to think of both of those pieces. You need a tool that is going to allow you to create your budget, but then also allow you to track all of your spending. But then at the end of the month, give you enough data to kind of reflect on 
okay, what was my budget? And then what did I actually spend? And I think like the tracking your spending piece is where a lot of the budgeting apps really fall short because they're automated. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people that they're like, that's great. Like, why yeah. would I want to sit there and like track all of my spending and manually write in that I spent $80 at the grocery store. But when apps are automated like that, it really puts up like a large barrier between you and your money. Every Monday when I sit down for 10 minutes and I track that I spent $80 at the grocery store, that makes me be like, why did I spend $80 at the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Like, why was my grocery spend so high that month? Or if I went to the mall and spent $200 and then two days later, I need to come in and track $200 into my transactions log in my budget template. It makes me kind of think through like, what did I even spend $200 on? Was that a good purchase? Were those purchases aligned with my values? Or do I regret that purchase? It can kind of help like inform your purchasing decisions and like really hold you accountable for your spending. For sure. And I think a lot of times with budgeting apps, because it's automated, it's easy to just be like, to open the app and be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like I'm not, you know, I made 3000. I've only spent 2000 so far this month. I'm in the green. I'm good. But then, you know, say you're halfway through the month. Maybe you're not actually good because you're two thirds of the way through your money and you're only halfway through the month as where with a budget, like a, a sheet where you have to manually track it forces you to sit down periodically and track so you can see, okay, you know, I, yeah, week one, I'm doing well. Week two, okay, we spent <laughs> a little bit more than we should have. So let's reel it in for week three of the month. You know, it really does force you to do that. And I feel like it also makes me think a lot more about my spending. Like, I'm like, oh God, I went out to dinner and I spent a hundred dollars. Okay. Maybe next time I don't get three rounds of drinks and dessert. Maybe <laughs> I like, you know what I mean? Maybe I just kind of, because I want to have those you know, those moments with my friends, I want to go out and hang out with them. But is it sustainable to pay $100 for dinner every single time? No. But it Mm -hmm. also kind of helps me justify those splurges too. Okay. Yeah. I did spend $100 at dinner, but my friends and I went to a really cute Christmas decorated restaurant. This is a real example. We did. We spent so much money, (laughs) but it was this beautiful restaurant. We went on a little road trip, decorated the whole entire thing, floor to ceilings decorated for Christmas. And they had incredible allergen friendly food for me. And I was literally in all my glory. (laughs) So I'm like, it's a splurge, but it was worth it. And now I know for the remainder of the month, I need to make sure that I'm not doing that over and over again. Um, So I think, Yeah. yeah, if you've tried a budgeting app and it didn't work, definitely try a spreadsheet. Or if you've tried a spreadsheet and it didn't work for you, try an app, like switch it up and see kind of how you feel. My last gripe with budgeting apps are that a lot of them allow you to like customize your categories, right? Like when you're creating your budget, it's like, okay, I want a category for food and drinks or whatever it is. But then when the app is automating inputting your spending, a lot of them can't get the categorizations right. And that's because they use APIs like Plaid or something like that. That's like inputting all of your spending from your bank accounts and your credit cards and all of that. And Plaid's not the most accurate. Like that's just how it is. Every budgeting app that I've used, there have been transactions in there every single month being like, okay, I spent a thousand dollars going out to eat. And I'm like, what? Like, no, I didn't. And then I look at the transactions and something in there is wrong. So Mm -hmm. that's another kind of like barrier. If anything is like incorrect in the data, then it can make it hard to extract any information from the data. Um, But I really like that point about like, understanding where your splurges are and kind of tracking your spending to like understand how you feel when you're tracking it. And I think this is the biggest part for me that has helped me understand what my values are and like spending in alignment with your values. Because the next point that we had here 
is kind of coming up with that, what we like to call a conscious spending plan. We definitely didn't come up with this phrase. Um, I think that was in the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by yeah, Ramit Sethi. That's Sethi definitely where it, we yeah. heard that. Um, but a conscious spending plan is really just helping you understand how you want to spend your money and how you don't want to spend your money. So really thinking through what you value spending your money on and spending in those areas so that you have the room in your budget for how you want to spend, but you're not spending on areas that maybe like don't benefit you. So for me, um, one thing is like, I try not to get takeout by myself and just like eat takeout at home. I try to like, if I'm eating by myself, I want to cook the food because I don't like get enjoyment out of just getting takeout randomly on most occasions, maybe like once a month or once every two months I will. Um, if I'm getting like sushi and just like hanging out and like having a night to myself. <laughs> um, but I try not to do that because when I track my spending and I have to input that $30 that I spent on random takeout or whatever, like I realize that that's not in alignment with my values. But if I go out to eat with my friends and we had a girls night and it's really cute, we got dressed up and like had a really good time and I spent $75, that's more than the $30 takeout. But I don't feel regret when I track that purchase because I had a great time and that's me spending in alignment with my values. So understanding that I think is the best part about tracking manually. Absolutely. I want to make a note here too that one like mindset shift that helped me with this was that what you value can change depending on the season of life that you're in. And I noticed that my kind of like what I value and what I don't value changes a lot with the actual seasons of the year because I got anxiety. Okay. So when it gets to be freezing cold outside, the seasonal depression hits. And so I know that in that season of the year, I value getting out of the house a lot more as where during the summer, I'm I, I'm already out of the house. I'm not really spending every time I leave the house, but in the winter, especially because I live in Massachusetts, I'm going to spend a little, I value my mental health. So I'm going to give myself room to spend more and go to yoga more often or to go out to dinner with my friends more often or to, you know, it just, I feel like things get more expensive as we're like, I could go to the beach for free in the summer or go for a walk for free. I'm not going for a walk in the frozen tundra that is Massachusetts <laughs> in December. So things like that too, like what you value can change based on the time of year, but be clear about what those things are. So I know that I, I like to experiment with fashion and clothes and try different things, but I do not. And every time I would track spending, like splurging on clothes, I would feel so guilty. I do not like to go shopping all the time. I will get high quality basics and then I have a fashion pass membership and I rent clothes and I love fashion pass, but I, I don't give myself a, a budget for shopping and like buying clothing because I don't value that. I would just much rather rent really cool pieces for 90 bucks a month on fashion pass and return, you know, just send it back when I'm done with the clothes. Um, so know that it can change and, and maybe that'll change in my lifetime. Maybe I won't always be that way, but it can change depending on the season too. So don't think that, cause I, I know in Ramit Sethi's book, it kind of talks about what do you value in a very broad way. And I'm like, it can change. It doesn't, I don't have to value the same things for the rest of my life. I can value something for the next six months and change. So don't feel like you're married to your conscious spending plan because you're not. <laughs> Definitely. Moving on to what step four or five. Um, I don't know where yeah, we're at anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to whatever step we're on, setting financial goals. Um, so this is a big piece. I think if you are listening to this episode, obviously you might have a goal to 
get your financial shit together in 2024. And I think a big part of that is not just like getting a wrap on where you're currently at financially, but also kind of setting those goals for where do you want to be in the future. And we always like to say, we've definitely said this in a couple episodes before, but setting your financial goals really requires you to think about your life goals because very often people will set these financial goals that are super numeric and being like, I want to save or invest or grow my net worth to $100,000 or whatever it is. But what is that money going to do for you? I think it's really important to actually take time. And this is a perfect time of year to do it. If you are a New Year's resolution girly, um, taking the time to think about what you want out of life and how can you use money as a tool to help you get there. Yeah. One thing I will note here before we go to the next section is that I I am a spiritual girly. I love manifestation. I love meditation, all those things. And one thing that really, really helped me with this was, and you can do this. I did it in a budget. Oh my God. I just combined all my words that I was about to say into <laughs> one word. That was crazy. A business coaching program. I said budget. That's what I said. Business coaching program. Oh my God. Like I said at the beginning, the lights yeah. are on, but nobody's home. Um, but I did this in a business coaching program and it is a visualization activity. And you can go onto YouTube and type in just like visualization meditation. And basically what it will do is it just plays this like meditative music in the background and you'll close your eyes and it will ask you questions about like, like, okay, five years down the line, like you wake up, what does your house around you look like? You go to make breakfast. What does your kitchen look like? What are you eating? Who's in your house with you? Where do you live? What's around? You know, you go about your day. What are you doing for work? What kind of car do you drive? Things like that. And that helped me so much because when you're in meditation, it's allowing you to kind of like dip into your subconscious brain and figure out what do I actually want and care about? So when I thought about my day, I thought about this like beautiful home that had really big windows, but I... I don't, I don't see a car. Like I I don't think about a car, but other people they're like, okay, yeah, I wake up and I have kids in my house and I have three dogs and I'm driving a G wagon. And I'm like, okay, that's not (laughs) what I'm working on right now. You know what I mean? But like, if those are what, if that's what you're working on, then that gives you, okay, cool. I want to buy this, you know, gorgeous bag. or I want to buy this car or I want to whatever. And I want it in five years. What do I need to be doing now to actually have that? So if you are struggling to come up with what your financial goals are, try a visualization exercise because that really, really helped me think about my goals and actually start working towards them. Definitely. I also think it's important to think about these types of things very long term um, because I also think that people will set financial goals that are maybe a little bit more short term. They're like, oh, I want my net worth to grow to 100K next year or something like that. And it's like, okay, but I know for me, I'm 24. So for the past two years, when I've been thinking about my finances, it's like, okay, let's think outward to 30, for example, what do I see my life looking like? Or what do I want to accomplish? Or what do I think are going to be big life events that I might need money for? So for a lot of people, or especially a lot of women, like maybe you're dreaming of like your dream wedding or something like that, where you're going to need to pay a lot of money for something Mm -hmm. like that. So just kind of thinking through, you know, 
what might come up that I'm going to need a significant amount of money for and like trying to save for that. Um, Another good example is if you have kids, maybe thinking through, okay, well, one day my kids are going to go to college. Do I want to help them pay for that to any extent or anything like that? Do I want to start investing for them so they have any type of money when they become an adult or anything? Um, Just kind of thinking through those like long-term goals as opposed to only short and maybe medium-term goals, if that makes sense. Because the next two points that we're going to mention here are how to save money and how to invest money. Um, Because those are some things that we get asked about a lot. So thinking through your life goals and then thinking through like, do I save for those or do I invest for those goals? Absolutely. I was going to say it's a perfect transition into the next thing that we were going to say, because if you're saving for a short-term goal, what often makes sense is putting it in something like a high-yield savings account because you want to access it soon, right? So for me, like I'm going to start saving for a house, but I do not see myself buying a house in the next one to two years. So I'm probably going to put that somewhere else. Um, But if I'm saving for, for example, I'm saving for a car right now as well, because my Toyota Camry is like the little engine that could. She is not giving up. She she is not. She is just continuing to chug along. But I know that there will come a day, probably in the next two years or so, where she says she's tapping out and she's had enough. So I want to make sure that I have that money accessible to me so that I can just take it out and go buy the car, put the down payment, depending on how much I have. But if you're saving for something that is more medium term, so maybe three to five years, It can be a high-yield savings account. It could be money market funds. It could be a CD. There are, which is a certificate of deposit. um, There are different options. It just depends what you're saving for and when you want to be able to access that money. um, And if you need to be able to access it in an instant, because certain accounts will have penalties if you take that money out too soon and you don't want to end up in that situation. So I think for things like my personal thought process on it always is for things where I know that there is a very specific timeline of like, okay, I am, you know, I, I didn't just get engaged. This is just an example. I'm very much (laughs) single, but say I just get engaged and I know we are going to get married in two years. Okay. There's a very specific timeline if I found a two-year CD or something like that, all right, sure, maybe we can do that. But for things where there's a broad timeline, like I'm going to start saving for a house, I have no idea when I'm going to buy that. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that I'm not signing up for something that I can't take that money out for five years because what happens if I want to buy the house sooner? You know what I mean? So don't lock yourself into something. Um, And if some of those things where there are penalties to take it out early scare you, um, don't do it. Like it's okay to, you know what I mean? I, I personally don't love the idea of like locking my money up anywhere. So I probably would just stay away from that and put it in a high yield savings account, but it depends on you and what makes sense for you and what your preferences are. Yeah. I get asked a lot about the difference between high yield savings accounts and CDs. And like Grace was just saying, when you purchase a CD, you are locking your money up for that defined period of time with a guaranteed rate of return for that defined period of time. So let's say it's a 15 month, 5% CD. 
that means that you're putting, let's say, $10,000 into the CD. And for the next 15 months, you can't pull out that $10,000. But at the end, you will get paid out that guaranteed rate of return. Um, so that's the benefit is that you're kind of locking yourself into it. Whereas with a high yield savings account, you let's say, I mean, a lot of high yield savings accounts are at like four and a half percent right now. So you might be thinking, oh, why would I lock my money up into a CD when high yield savings accounts are paying about just as much? Well, if you put your money into a high yield savings account and then next year the Fed decreases interest rates, your high yield savings account rate will decrease as well. Um, so the rate isn't guaranteed like it is with a CD, but I'm totally in the same boat. I don't personally purchase CDs. I think if I, again, was in a situation where I had a very specific use case for my money and I knew I was going to need my money in two, three years, um, maybe I would consider it, but I'm just like not at that point. My money right now is high yield savings account or invest it. So. Yeah, same. I also feel like at this point in my 20s, I'm still a little bit all over the place. Like my goals yeah. have changed and the timelines for things have changed so much that I'm like, no, like I, mm -hmm. I don't even know what I'm eating for breakfast tomorrow. Never mind what's happening five years down the line. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't need to be locking my money up anywhere. Um, but this kind of goes into the next thing we're going to talk about is how how to invest money and knowing when to invest for certain things. So I see a lot of people saying, especially on the topic of retirement, that they're saving for retirement. And I'm like, okay, I know we say that term, we're saving for retirement because we are setting aside money, but what we should be doing is investing for retirement. Um, and yeah, it's just a little technicality of the word, yeah. but it is so far away I mean, for us, we're both in our 20s. It is so far away. If you try to save that money and put it aside, as inflation occurs, your your dollar is going to lose value. Um, you really need to be investing that money and letting it grow until you retire because otherwise you're going to be real sad when you retire and you don't have as much as you think you do, you know? Um, so for long-term goals, invest it. I have also seen, you know, depending on how old, if you do have children, depending on how old they are, you know, if they are two years away from college, it might not make sense to invest it for two years. But if you are, if you have young kids or toddlers or whatever, it makes sense to invest that money in most cases, of course, speak to a financial advisor about it, but it does make sense to invest that money rather than trying to stash it away in an account where you're really not earning any interest on it. Because that goal is, you know, in some cases, 20 years away before your kid goes to college. So thinking about whether you're saving or investing the money is really important for long-term goals. I think this is a good time to mention as well, just like Grace said, like talk to a financial advisor. Dis disclaimer, we are not financial advisors. We like touch on the topics of investing, but that's definitely a disclaimer. We are not giving you advice on what to do with your money. Um, so talk to a financial advisor if you are like worried about any of this stuff or anything. But our goal here is just to kind of educate you on what investing is, how we do it, and things like that. It's just supposed to inspire you to go learn some more about the topic. But I think another reason why people get confused between saving and investing is because of like the high yield savings account rate environment that we're in right now. Because a couple of years ago, high yield savings accounts, they were a thing, but you weren't really earning any money on the money sitting in your savings because of the interest rate environment. Like the Fed pretty much set the interest rates at 0% for the longest time. So you really weren't earning any money. But now it's like, okay, well, I'm in 
earning a return. And the difference between that and investing your money, even though you're earning a return on your savings account, is you're not purchasing an asset with a high yield savings account. To invest your money, you have to purchase an asset. And I think this is a point of confusion for a lot of people. You know, you see videos on social media that will be like, oh, I put my money into a Roth IRA and I never actually invested it. What does that mean? It means that you deposited money into an investment account, but you never actually purchased an asset. So what does that, what does that asset look like? For most people who are investing for retirement, think like your 401k. It's probably going to be a mix of stocks and bonds. So the stock market and the bond market. Um, I know for me personally, I'm pretty much only invested in the stock market. Maybe my portfolio has like a small portion of bonds. Maybe I don't even think it does. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, it's going the asset is going to be the stock market and the bond market. Other examples of assets could be like real estate, gold, things like that. It's things that are going to to grow. That's like the uh, the idea with it. But yeah, you're so right. It, it really is. And I, I think you explained it so well. Um, just like you're purchasing an asset and then that asset, the value of that asset is going to grow over time. Mm -hmm. And because you own it, then when you go to retire and you cash out, you have made money on that asset as where, yeah, your, your money is just sitting mm -hmm. there in um, yeah. a high yield savings account. And you are earning interest, but it's really not the same. And investing also takes advantage of compound interest, which basically means that like your money is, you're earning interest on your interest. So if on day one, you have $10 and on day two, you get $12, then when interest compounds, it's going to be compounding off that $12, not on the initial $10 that you had. Um, there's, if you look up compound interest and you go on Google and you just type in like compound interest images, there's a lot of really great images that really helped me understand what compound mm -hmm. interest was and how it looked because I'm like a visual girly. So I needed to see like how the interest yeah. is kind of growing on the interest because it sounds yeah. very confusing. All of that will also be included in the financial foundations guide. I know I'm working on the page that's called investing for beginners and I'm talking all about kind of like compound interest. There's a bunch of nice graphs and stuff in there to help you sort of visualize like what we mean when we say start investing early and like let time do its thing because i think the long-term aspect is also another really important piece here i know grace you mentioned it like right at the beginning when we started talking about investing but investing in something like the stock market is not for a short-term goal if people say like oh well if i can earn more money in the stock market rather than a high yield savings account, why would I put my money into a high yield savings account? Because the stock market is volatile. <laughs> um, when you think about it, I was an economics major. So we learned a lot about like risk versus reward. Um, with any reward, there's always going to be a risk. And the longer of the time horizon that you have in your like, per like when you purchase a stock, the longer you hold that stock, the less risk you have because like you can you can look this up too it'll be included in the guide like if you hold a stock for one year the chance of your money going up is i don't know what the percentages are off the top of my head but if you if you hold that stock for 10 years your chances of losing money go down to like less than five percent or like not even one percent i'm pretty sure so it's the it's like the longer you hold your assets the less chance you have of losing money and the more chance you have of getting closer to like the average returns that we've been seeing for the past 50 60 100 years in the stock market 100 i also think this goes back to something that we were saying earlier in the episode is that when it comes to investing what i found was that 
you are never going to know 100% of the investing terms of all the details. Like I like, for example, I don't know shit about crypto and I don't care to know anything <laughs> about crypto. You know, like, I don't invest in crypto. It is, I just, I don't, it doesn't make it sense so to me. It so far I don't, over my head. <laughs> yes. I don't need it to make sense to me. I'm fine. You know what I mean? But I think when I first started investing, I waited so long to actually start invest to actually start investing because I was like, well, I don't know everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's like more and in, more information. Like if I took the time to acquire more information, which I did for like two years, it didn't make me any more confident in what I was doing. Like I still had things I didn't understand and it's okay. You don't need to know everything there is to know about investing to get started. So start small. Like if you have never invested a dollar, put the minimum amount that you need to. I think I use M1 Finance to invest in a SEP IRA because I'm self-employed and I'm pretty sure I started with like a hundred dollars and I just put it in there and I bought an asset and then I was like, okay, let's, let's check back in a week and let's just like, look at what happened. Okay, cool. Like it, you know, you can start to see like here are all the different things that you're investing in. And that made me feel more confident to start throwing more money into it. Um, but know that more information isn't necessarily going to make the decision to start easier. You kind of just have to send it at some point and, and follow the advice of someone that you know and trust, um, or speak with a financial advisor about what you should be investing in or things like that. A fee only fiduciary. If you decide to yeah. use a financial advisor, don't use somebody who's going to take a portion of your investment earnings because that yes. is. Or frankly, a commission um, on the products that they sell you. So if, mm -hmm. a, if an advisor, if you do not have to pay your advisor, that's when you should beware because they are making money elsewhere and it is not in your best interest. So always pay your financial advisor on whether it's like an yes. hourly basis or a retainer or something like that. Um, yes. I think when it comes to investing, there's three things that I think you should know before you get started. The first is why the stock market, like you need to understand stock market fundamentals because I think this is the biggest piece. And I know we talked about this in another episode, but if you don't understand why the stock market goes up, or if you don't understand why you invested a hundred dollars one day, and then it went down to $90 the next day and you get scared and you pull your money out, you are never going to be a successful long-term investor. You really have to understand why buying, holding for the long-term and like broad market diversification, which these are all like words that sound really scary but it actually is really simple. You need to understand that principle. The best way to do that is, I know we're going to touch on it in our guide, but if you need a little bit more help in this area, because this is the biggest piece, um, the two books that I recommend are The Simple Path to Wealth. Literally read the first three chapters and you're good. Like <laughs> You're totally fine. Um, you don't have to read the whole thing. It doesn't have to be that intimidating. So this, the book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second book, there's actually a book out there that is called Why Does the Stock Market Go Up or Why the Stock Market Goes Up or like something like that. Um, a very good book to really understand, again, why the stock market goes up. So you can really understand like, okay, if I invest my money today, 30 years from now, what should I expect? Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is your investing accounts. So in order to purchase investments, purchase those assets, you need to do so inside of investment accounts. And the biggest piece here is distinguishing retirement accounts versus non-retirement accounts. So retirement accounts would be things like your 401k through your work, or if you open up an IRA. 
And these accounts, they're going to have certain tax advantages to them because the government wants to incentivize you to invest for your retirement so that the government doesn't have to pay for your retirement. But non-retirement accounts, that's something, it's called a brokerage account. It's just a taxable brokerage account, just a regular investment account. There's no special tax advantages to it. But with non-retirement accounts, there's also less rules for when you can pull out your money. So with things like a 401k or an IRA, you need to hit retirement age to be able to pull out the money, generally speaking, um, without paying a penalty. But with a typical brokerage account, um, there's no really rules around that. You can sell your assets, pull out your money kind of whenever you want. There's definitely different rules around like short-term capital gains versus long-term and like different things like that, um, just like some technicalities. But if you invest your money today, Technically, yes, you can pull it out tomorrow. That's not the goal. Again, <laughs> the goal is to hold it for the long term. Um, but the second thing, again, pick your investment accounts. Um, I personally have a mix of retirement and non-retirement accounts. I have a 401k, now a solo 401k because I'm self-employed. I have an IRA and I have a brokerage account. So I'm, I kind of do a mix of retirement and non-retirement investing. Um, the third thing Again, purchase and assets. Once you have your retirement accounts open, you can't just put money in there. You have to make sure your money is actually being invested by purchasing an asset. So I personally invest in ETFs and index funds. ETF is just kind of like a type of index fund. They just trade a little bit differently. But the big like idea here is that I'm not going in and picking individual stocks because frankly, I have no idea how to do that. Picking an individual stock that is going to perform well over the long term is very challenging. Um, so instead, I purchase an index fund that gives me very broad market diversification between the US stock market and the total world stock market. So I kind of just pick one or two ETFs and index funds and am invested. There you go. I have a, a target. I use a target date fund, which basically is just it picks the investments for me based on the year I want to retire and my um, risk tolerance. So I'm basically invested in the same exact things. It's basically just a bunch of index funds <laughs> that are within that target date fund. Um, but I mean, it, it. I feel like a lot of people complicate it a lot more than it needs to be. Like finding low cost index funds and just investing. There you go. That's going to be fine. I also. I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. Previous episode. Oh my gosh, I am just stuttering the house down boots today. I really am. <laughs> I feel that way too. Um, my brain is like fried. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the lights are off and nobody's home. Um, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but we can link it in the show notes again in this episode too. But one of our creator friends, Jeremy, has a really good course on investing, and it's very affordable. And it literally gets five star reviews. If you don't like it, you get a refund. We're not affiliates for this. I don't even think there are affiliates. We are just <laughs> no, friends and fans of Jeremy. Um, he's just incredibly smart. And I think the way he breaks down a lot of things is really great. And I've even debated taking the course just like because I know that I would learn things I don't know now. So maybe I will take that just like for shits and giggles. But we will link it in the show notes because I think that if you want to kind of learn like from an expert and kind of have a little bit more guidance with it, I think it would be really, really helpful. Definitely. I think that's a really good solution for people who are listening to this and are maybe like, okay, I'm learning a little bit, but I still don't feel confident to kind of like get started. And a lot of people are really intimidated to go seek out a financial advisor. There are a lot of 
financial advisors now that are coming out with like, you can book a one hour call for a flat fee and just kind of like touch base with an advisor rather than booking like a whole year's worth of advisory service. It's getting easier to find a very good fee only fiduciary advisor. But if you're not at that point yet and you just want to take a course and kind of like get that hands on help, um, that course is a really good way to do it. And we will link it in the show notes. But I think that's all for our financial foundation. Like we said, there isn't that much to it. Like we covered budgeting, credit scores, saving, investing, but that's kind of all you need to know. And now it's just about implementing it, being disciplined enough to hit your financial goals, track your spending every week, month, however often you do it, and make sure that you're spending in alignment with your values and your budget. But should we get on to some listener questions? We have a couple here that you guys submitted for us. Yes, let's do it. Okay, I will ask you the first one um, because I think you do a little bit more of this than I do. We get asked a lot, how do you make money with UGC? And if you're not familiar, UGC stands for User Generated Content. Yes. So UGC is basically when you make videos, essentially, or pictures that brands then use for organic content on their social media or paid ads. And I've gotten asked this so many times this week, specifically. I don't know why this week, but a couple things. One, I would say make, if if you're not a creator, make a profile on Upwork and kind of brand your profile around UGC. Um, and you will find there are tons of roles on there. Just be careful on Upwork because there can be very low paying deals. Um, I would also sign up for places like Contra and Pangea, which are both freelancing platforms. We will link all of these down in the show notes but I occasionally see UGC opportunities on those platforms as well. Um, I would also try to join this platform called Brands Meet Creators. So there are, within Brands Meet Creators, it's basically a little marketplace of sorts where brands can connect with creators. They can post listings for um, sponsored posts, which you would have to have a following to apply to, but they also post UGC opportunities and you can apply to those if you do not have a following you just need a portfolio which you can create some sample pieces and the last thing i would say is if you want to offer UGC on a freelance basis and you're open to talking about it on your linkedin i would add something on there that says you're offering those services and i would add something in your headline on your linkedin profile that says like UGC creator accepting new clients something like that because when brands are looking to hire UGC creators, they will often go onto LinkedIn and search UGC creator and your profile will then come up in their search. So those are a few things, but if you have like more specific questions, you can always DM one of us on, or both of us on social media and um, we're happy to help, but we'll link all those things in the show notes as well. Yes. We will especially link the Brands Me Creators newsletter um, yes. in the show notes as well. They have so many tools and resources. I like took a course from them one time. It was just an hour long YouTube video. The founder is brilliant. He was the one like mm-hmm. doing the YouTube video course. Um, so we will definitely link that in the show notes for sure. UGC is a very good opportunity to just kind of like dip your toes into the social media space without feeling like you need to go into actually developing that following and nurturing that audience and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a very flexible side hustle if you want to pick it up as a side hustle. Definitely. 
Okay, let's move on to the final listener question. Um, Budget-friendly date ideas. I got this one this morning and I thought it was fun. I know we touched on it in episode number three. So if you want to hear more about budget-friendly dating and all things dating and money, definitely go check out episode three. That was a really fun one. But do you have like a favorite budget-friendly date idea? I really, it depends on what stage of the dating process I am with the person, but I'm a big fan of just like grabbing coffee and going for a walk when it is nice out. Or if I've dated people who have dogs and I love just like taking their dog on a walk because I think dogs are so cute. Um, I also am just a big fan of like movie nights or even um, I recently bought the, I think it's called We're Not we're not strangers. We're not really strangers. We're really strange. I don't know what yeah. it's called. Whatever I that think it's game. we're not really strangers. We're not really strangers. Yeah, that I think. I bought that and um, it was like 20 bucks at Target and I'm so excited to play that with like my friends, with people that I'm dating, like stuff like that. I feel like that is a good – just grab a bottle of wine and a game and it's like 25 bucks and then you can just kind of chill. Um, but I think those are some of my favorite ones probably. I'm trying to think of yeah. any others that I really like. I think those are probably my two favorite as well. Any type of exercise. And I'm coming at this through the lens of when you're actually dating someone, not really like a first date or anything like that, because Mm -hmm. I have been in a relationship for about six months now. Um, And two of our favorite kind of more budget-friendly date ideas are any type of exercise. So whether that's like going to play basketball, going on a walk, um, playing tennis is something that I really want to get back into. That was a really big COVID hobby of mine and like my (laughs) college roommates. And I want to get back into it. So my boyfriend and I, like when the weather gets nice, again um we want to do that but when we were just in LA we went on like a three and a half mile walk along the beach and there were so many people out there playing beach volleyball and everything we were just kind of walking and talking so any type of exercise is good um you mentioned the movie nights this is something that we really like to do as well like making food together um I really like to make my own pizzas I think I mentioned that I just think it's really fun to kind of like make homemade pizzas, drink some wine, have a movie night and just kind of like chill inside. So that could be more of like a wintry one as well. But I think we did touch on some more budget-friendly day ideas in episode three. So definitely go check that out. I just thought of two others as well to mention. One, go on to Eventbrite and look at some of the activities there. I remember my friends and I were going to do a cookie decorating class and it was only like $15 a person and they give you all the supplies. They teach you how to like professionally decorate cookies. Like it was really cool and it was like $15. Um, And also there's an app called, I believe it's called Game Time and they do last minute tickets to sporting events. And I have used the app before to get last minute tickets to a Red Sox game. And I think our tickets were like 30 or 40 dollars for a like it was like a good Red Sox game like I think they had to go into like an extra inning or something like you know what I mean it was actually competitive and fun to watch not when like one team is absolutely smoking the other team so definitely if you are into like that type of stuff definitely check out the game time app or website because you can find last minute tickets to lots of different things for a lot more affordable prices as well um but yeah I think that wraps up Everything we had to say in today's episode, <laughs> hopefully it's not as crazy long as some of the other ones we've been filming, but let us We're know if you like. We're at an hour and like. 17 minutes. 
okay pat on our back the last two were like an hour and a half <laughs> but let us know if you like the longer episodes or the shorter episodes because it is really helpful for us to kind of know you can always leave that feedback in spotify there's a little q a section that's where you can also leave your listener questions that you want us to answer um any question or comment that you leave there will stay anonymous unless it's just like we love this episode we might like publish <laughs> your comment so that other people can see that there are people Which, who love please comment our podcast <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Um, positive feedback's appreciated. If you have constructive feedback, just say it nicely because I'm sensitive, <laughs> but we do want to hear the feedback that is constructive. So let us know, but I guess we'll see you in the next episode, which I believe is going to be in the new year. Yes. Also, Merry Christmas. This episode is coming oh, out yeah. on, on Christmas, which if, if you, you are celebrate. spending your Christmas listening to us, um, thank yes. you. That's amazing. But yeah. yes, our next episode is coming out on New Year's. We're going to be talking all about our 2024 goals um, and everything along those lines, which I I cannot wait for that episode. I love talking through that stuff. So oh, yeah. until next week, thank you for listening. Bye.